to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Sarah Lowe, and she'll be answering your most important questions on making fly fishing mistakes. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Sarah a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right-hand column. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc. Doing business is ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Sarah Lowe about Are You Making Mistakes Fly Fishing? Mystic Outdoors fly rods are designed and constructed by a team of professionals who are all committed to superb craftsmanship and turns creativity into beautiful functional fly fishing rods. Mystic is simply one of the best fly rod companies based in the United States. This month, Mystic is featuring their new Reaper X fly rod, a moderate fast action rod with a powerfully deep loading tip section that shoots line with impressive accuracy and protects even light tippets against hard-fighting fish. The Reaper X is available starting with a 3-weight and covering all the sizes up to 10-weight. This month only, you can buy one Reaper X and get one free. That's right. You heard it correctly. Buy one Reaper X and get one free. So don't delay. Get one for yourself. Get one as a present for a friend. But do it and go to mysticoutdoors.com and look for Reaper X. Again, it's mysticoutdoors.com, and look for Reaper X. Before we introduce Sarah, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Sarah's section that says, click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Sarah's book, A Guide's Guide to Fly Fishing Mistakes, courtesy of Skyhorse Publishing. And to learn more about the books that Skyhorse has to offer, go to skyhorsepublishing.com. They've got lots of books on fly fishing, and I'm sure you'll find something that will interest you there. And here's how you win Sarah's book tonight. You must be one of the first people to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. It could be one or two-part questions. It just depends on how I'm feeling and how tough I want to make it for you. But the questions will be about something that Sarah and I talk about during the show, and you just submit your answer along with your name and your location on the text box on our home page. So listen closely, take some notes, and hopefully you'll have the right answer to win Sarah's book. Our guest tonight is Sarah Lowe. Sarah is a New York State licensed fishing guide and fly fishing instructor with 20 years' experience organizing and leading fishing trips for novice and experienced anglers. She is a founding partner of High Spirits Unlimited, a travel company devoted to fly fishing trips. 
off the water. Sarah published a how-to fly fishing book called A Guide's Guide to Fly Fishing and is working on her next book as well. She co-authored the Fly Fishing Hall of Fame and has served as a director of organizations including uh, Theodore Gordon Fly Fishers, a nonprofit for angling organization promoting river protection, and Juliana's uh, Anglers, a fishing club for women. She curated an award-winning exhibit on the history of women in fly fishing and was honored by the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum as the 2010 Outstanding Fly Fisher of the Year. She has been the subject of articles and publications from here to Japan, including the New York Times and Brown Alumni Monthly, and featured on television programs such as WNBC's Today in New York and the outdoor channel's Red Hook Outdoors. Currently president of the United States Croquet Association and former executive in entertainment advertising, Ms. Lowe is thrilled to be introducing anglers to the joys of fly fishing. Sarah, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you very much, Roger. Very excited. Yeah, well, good to have you. Good to have you. And um, the um, uh, we've got a bunch of questions and a bunch of mistake makers out there. <laughs> but, uh, All of us. <laughs> I, somebody did write in and comment that, uh, well, we shouldn't call them mistakes, uh, learning opportunities or whatever, because <laughs> really fly fishing is, that's what you do. Your whole life is learn, right? I mean, you never that's stop right. learning. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely so, right. So we've got lots of questions. So we want to kind of pick your brain because you've seen a lot of fly fishers doing all the guiding you've, you've done over the years and uh, being involved in fly fishing for so long. So you've probably seen about everything that could happen happen, I suppose. Is that the case? <laughs> it probably, but let's uh, whatever we don't do then right now that I haven't seen will happen some other time. So I'm sure that there are <laughs> yeah. lots of questions that we can get. Go ahead. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, let's get started. Um, I've kind of broken these down, and in your book you kind of broke down uh, different sections as well, and, and that's the way some of the questions that came in from some of our audience uh, kind of fit within those. So let's kind of go through some of those those sections um, as you lined out in your book. Uh, one area was terminal tackle, and we, you know, what are some general mistakes that you see people rigging up? You know, they come come that morning on a guided trip and they're putzing around with their rods. Do you see any common uh, mistakes or errors? Yeah. I do. And actually some of them are so basic and happen to everyone, uh, you know, all of us, gear, um, guides and, and regular anglers. Um, the most basic are that the line doesn't match the rod that's being cast. And a lot of times when something's put away, a rod uh, I mean, a reel is not put away in the correct um, container. And when um, a, an angler gets the water and puts their reel on, they discover that um, sometimes very late in, in the process that the line is not and the reel is not what they had thought they'd brought with them. Um, another thing is literally logs fall apart because they're made of several sections. And one thing before getting out onto the water, one thing that, an angler should do, has to remember to do, is actually tighten down the sections of the rod. There are, I've seen way too many times where unfortunately we've had to search the woods all around looking for a, the tip of a rod because it has fallen off somewhere and we have all lost rods that way or parts of a rod. Another thing is 
just tie on any fly to get to the water. It doesn't matter what it is, but it protects the rod, and so you don't lose the tip of your rod. But also, you can get your line out at the car and put a fly on and put the rod entirely together, not worry about anything. When you get to the water, the fly is going to be changed to match whatever's happening on the water. But those are ways to protect the rod, to protect the lines, and um, and just get yourself out onto the water and start fishing as soon as possible. And that's interesting because um, that's um, one mistake I haven't made yet. <laughs> but <laughs> Good. I'm but I can see how that, that can happen. I'm always checking, you know, is this a five weight? Is this a four weight? Is this a right? <laughs> you know. But uh, when you I, get a I'm bunch of rods, you. yeah. No, it's true. It's true. When you have a bunch of rods and you have a bunch of reels, oftentimes, the wrong reel gets, and I can't tell you the number of times that that has happened where someone has, has brought the wrong reel, by mistake obviously, put it on without thinking, gotten out onto the water even, started casting, and it just doesn't, the line doesn't move the rod as well as <laughs> <Yeah>. it should. <laughs> I can see that happening, boy, yeah. yeah. And you're wondering, what the heck, has my casting gone to hell here or what? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, good, good. Well, those are good tips. Um, Jerry Kempel in Jefferson City, Missouri, uh, wrote in, and he says, can you recommend uh, a knot to tip it to hook for an angler with poor eyesight as well as arthritis? And that's happening to a lot of older folks as they fish into their later years. That is absolutely happens to everyone, unfortunately. It just is. Um, of course, the first and easiest thing you can do is when you tie your clinch knot, which is the knot you use to tie your tippet to the fly, you just tie a regular clinch knot and don't improve it. Um, one doesn't need to tie any extra, make any extra swift turns on the knot. It just don't improve your clinch knot. But there are other things that one can do, especially if you're hampered in tying knots. First of all, if you can, just if you want to, pre-tie flies um, before going to the water. Tie them onto the tippet with your knot, and then you're only um, you're taking your time and you're doing it only before you get to the water. So you're not nervous about it. You can take your time, and then you will tie a surgeon knot to tie the larger leader to the tippet itself to the leader, and you can tie a bunch in advance and put them on a piece of cardboard that you have come in, a small piece of cardboard with quarter-inch splits on either side to wrap a fly and and leader around so that you can come again. Another thing you can do is make use of the uni knot, which is hard to describe, of course, here on the on a phone call, but what it is, it's a much more simple knot to tie and you can actually use a uni, U-N-I knot, to tie lots, to use it for a lot of your knots, to replace some of your knots with the uni. And um, that would be to tie a fly onto the tippet or to tie tippet onto a leader. You actually can and should try that the uni knot. Okay. And that will help okay. a lot. Yeah, uni knot. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's probably lots of 
instructions out on the internet. There are. And, yeah. and that's why yeah. it, it's not worth going into over sure. the phone just because it's just it gets confusing. But it, there are lots of instructions online or in books. Yeah, yeah, great, great. Any other tips you might give on, um, you know, just leaders and tippets in general that uh, well, might be helpful? Um, that I really typically, because a lot of times people don't remember what size tippet they should use for their flies, and typically estimate what size your fly is. Hopefully you may you know what size your fly is, but if you don't, just estimate and divide that number by three so that you will have, and that is the size of the tippet that you would tie on. So if you have a size 18 fly, then you divide it by three, and you have six, well, you would use a 6X tippet. Now, a lot of people don't go down to an 18, uh, I mean, a size 18 fly. That's quite all right. But if you have a 12, a size 12 fly, then divide it by three and tie on a 4X tippet. If your water is clear, then divide by four. This is just a general rule. And so you would go down a size of liter. Um, because if the water's clear, the fish can see a liter that much more. And that's absolutely, you know, what one should do. In terms of tying on, I don't actually improve my clinch knot. So that if tying from liter, when you tie a fly on and you tie a clinch knot on, don't improve it. It's just not necessary. Most guides do not improve um, improve the clinch knot because there is a clinch knot and there's an improved clinch knot which is just tying an extra and you just don't you don't need to do it of course if if water is really heavy or and fish are really uh pounding the flies that you are offering or the natural flies then either improve your clinch knot but also go up one size of leader of tippet i'm sorry of tippet because you don't want to um, to lose your flies because I mean you don't want to lose a fish because your um, line is is too light in size. Sure, sure, yeah. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, other question here from Dan in Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, this is regarding finding fish. He says, my question relates to fishing unfamiliar water. What is the biggest mistake one makes when approaching a promising-looking river they have not fished? Um, a lot of times, the biggest mistake is that, I think, is that people wade in and treat the river as if it's their home water, just going, fishing it just normally, as without even thinking about it. But um, I'll go back to, if you're fishing um, with water on water that you are not familiar with, Use that stop, look, and listen technique where you stop at the water's edge. You approach that river, you stop at the edge, and you gauge what's happening around you. You want to match the tempo of what's going on. If it's a faster current, okay, you're going to go a little faster than you normally do. If it's slow water, slow yourself down um, and just and match that. Then look at your surroundings. Take notice of it everything that's happening, but what's happening on the water, what's happening on top of the water, 
in the water and above the water. And um, in the water, you probably won't see too far below you, but if there are flies all over the place, take notice of that. If there are rising fish, take notice of that. If there are no rising fish, obviously you're going to fish under the surface, but you want to definitely take advantage of all of that. So you really have to pay attention to how different that water is from what you're normally used to. Then if nothing's coming up to the surface and you can't gauge anything with the fishing, then you're going to want to fish obviously under the surface with a nymph or with a um, or with a streamer and typically what you would do is cast um, use using with your nymph or with your streamer cast across the stream and slightly downstream then um, you do that a few times three times then with that same length of line which should be short to begin with about 20 feet then cast three more times adding life to that same drift then add a foot of line so now you're casting 21 feet approximately cast that three or four times with a dead drift then add life and cast again for, um, with life to it for another three times lengthen your line continue that foot at a time until you've reached the limit of your cast then move downstream for two or three feet and do the same thing all over again. Just casting with the, with that, the longer line that you have come to. You don't need to start all over again with the 20 feet. But, um, but this way, you'll see what's going on. You'll find out where the fish are and where, um, and if they're active there, if there's anything going on in that water at all. Guys use this method to, um, determine where the fish are, and um, and it helps. Now, typically, guides will break off as fast as possible so they don't disrupt um, the river for fishing. But this way, you know where the fish are. And I would suggest using a woolly bugger or um, or an attractor. I mean, or something that um, or a nymph of that's active at the time. Um, yellow colors I, I really like a lot and I would use red or yellow for my steamers and then of course otherwise use a hair's nymph or a pheasant tail depending on what's going on at the time of year and um, so that's what I would do for, for okay. an area that looks fishy but you don't Sarah, know, Sarah, you don't I'm having a, with it. Sarah, I'm having mm-hmm. a little trouble um, hearing you um, oh dear. a little muffled so I don't know if you can adjust your, your phone there. Okay, I'll try. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe just hold it away from your mouth just a little bit. Okay. Um, I'll that. try that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, good. So, uh, so again, I think it was, what, stop, look, and listen? Is that what you said earlier I on? say stop, look, and listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you get to the water, you really get a better feel for it than just, mm, this is great and fishy. Yeah, that's what I hear from a lot of uh, professional fly fishers is that too often we make the mistake of just wading in <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and literally stepping on the fish as we do that, that we could have been mm-hmm. catching. Yeah, so it um, uh, seems like it's a, a common problem uh, we all have. Yeah. The um, What about a, 
you know, approaching the fish. Let's say we, we do see, you know, a fish rising or we can see a fish that's uh, feeding in a nymphing lane. And what are some of the mistakes we make when, when approaching that, uh, that feeding fish? Uh, well, again, it's because often people use the same technique when they approach a fish all the time. And um, there's an example I would love to point out to give you, which is um, there's a wonderful pool on the Beaverkill River. It's called Barrel Pool. And there are fabulous large trout on the far side of the river. Between most anglers and the far side of the river are several currents that happen. Most people walk right into this river and um, cast across all these currents and try very hard for these large fish. The problem with a lot of currents and several currents is, of course, that by the time the fly reaches those fish, that fly is actually dragging or something of that nature. And instead, an angler can actually should look around and what happens, what happens on the um, barrel pool, which is very typical of so many pools, is that an angler has walked right past a lot of fish without realizing it, but just has been so excited about the large fish. So really, if you just look around you onto the, onto the, behind you, where fish may be, um, where the water may be softer and not moving as fast, there can be several fish. I took someone out on the on barrel pool one time and who wanted to see the river in a different way. His first move was to actually do exactly what I just described to him. He walked across the river as far as he could get and cast across several times. Instead, I pointed behind him and said, try casting that way. And his Scott, because he thought that they were just smaller fish that he had walked past. Well, he actually walked past several fish, probably a lot of fish, but he caught several fish, a couple of 12-inchers, um, 12 a 16-incher, and finally a 19-inch brown. So the thing is, what you want to do is when you see fish, there may be fish in lots of places, and, and you want to look around you. If they're rising fish, look around to see what, um, where other places would be, other places perhaps not the most obvious spot, perhaps um, because you may be able to find fish or you uh, you may find fish and you've walked right past them or, or stepped right on them. Right, right. Yep. Sounds familiar. Well, listen, we've got uh, time to take our first break here, and um, but uh, stick with me, Sarah, and when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll try to answer some more of the questions that have come in about uh, things we could do better at. So um, stick with me, and we'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market, as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They've been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of the fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method. 
I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. Again, that's BigSkyInflatables.com. If you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, we're talking with Sarah Lowe about making fly fishing mistakes. If you'd like to ask Sarah a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Sarah, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So tell us about what you're up to lately. Um, lately, I've been doing a lot of fishing um, in other parts of the country, and which I find very exciting. And I, I'm from the Northeast, and my home waters are New York and Connecticut, which is fabulous fishing, I have to say. But lately, I, I always go out west anyway in the summertime and um, what I tend to do is I have a company called High Spirit Unlimited and um, my company plans trips, organizes trips and runs trips for especially for fishing out in well in different parts of the country and that's highspiritsatme.com that's it we have a website and um, literally we use the guides that are local to the area, and one should, so that uh, anyway, because you feel comfortable, I mean, those people really know their water. And I've just, um, I've just, because of it, I've been all over the country and all over, you know, and fished myself, because I check everything out before I bring other people to any water whatsoever. I want to make sure it's safe, I want to make sure it's fun, um, and also, I check also the places that um, to stay as well. So that's what I'm doing. That's what I've been doing a lot of. Obviously, I've, I wrote this book, of A Guide's Guide to Fly Fishing Mistakes. And currently I'm working on one for um, anglers who have, um, who are, have difficulty fishing. They, have, they love fly fishing, but whether they're older, whether they are, um, whether they're, for, or something that has is stopping them from fishing or slowing them down. That's the that's what I'm working on right now. Good, good. Now, do you have a website for High Spirits? Uh, yes. Where people can learn it's, about your trips. Yeah. Yes, it's High Spirits. Um, H I G H High Spirits Unlimited. Dot com. Okay, unlimited spelled out. Unlimited spelled out. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Highspiritsunlimited.com. Dot Great. Com. That's correct. Good. Well, mm-hmm. you can people can check that out and uh, look into uh, going on a trip with Sarah. So uh, take her up on that and uh, check out what they're doing there. Well, good. Well, thanks for sharing what you're up to and uh, look look forward to that new book coming out too. And whenever Thank that you. happens, you have to let me know. <laughs> so, good. <laughs> Um, okay, jumping back in here, um, there was a follow-up question on uh, terminal tackle here uh, from Manny Zanger in Roscoe, New York. It says, hi, Sarah, do you approve a loop-to-loop for tying a tippet to a leader? Um, I, In terms of tying a loop-to-loop from tippet to leader, I 
don't. I like to use a tighter connection and actually and not the, and not use loop to loop. Um, a great thing about loop to loop and what that is is especially people who buy who buy their leaders in a packet. They come usually with a loop on them, and you can attach your leader to your fly line with the loop that is on your fly line, that comes on your fly line. It's not bad, a bad thing to do, especially with if one changes leaders frequently or um, or wants or buys the, uh, the packaged leaders. The only thing is I like a tighter, I like to knot my leaders. It allows a little bit more control with casting, and so it's because it is tighter. The loop-to-loop is um, can be difficult when one is using small hold um, rods because when you catch your fish and bring it in, bring your line in, then you will have to bring your loops through the eyes of the leader. I mean, I'm sorry, through the eyes of the rod. It's okay, and that's absolutely fine, and that's doable, and most people do, but I prefer the, to tie my knot, uh, to tie a knot rather than, so I cut off my loops. Yeah, so those loops come through the rod guides going chunk, 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 chunk. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. certainly doable, and it's fine to, you know, to do that. Of course, when the fish runs a second or third or whatever time, and you have um, your loop inside the um, the guidelines, I mean the guides at that point, then you ha- just have to remember to help the line out as the leader or hold the, li- the rod straight to um, so that your loop-to-loop doesn't catch up and break the uh, – catch up on the guides and break your rod. It, it, yeah. it doesn't happen often, but still it's a good – it's something to make sure that you check into – you check as your – as um, if a fish runs again. I would think that, uh, you know, like you say, if you're just getting ready to net a fish and, it's, and you've got that loop flip connection within your guides, that when that chunks out, so to speak, if it runs again, then you could, it could be a point of failure of losing that fish too, right? With the, the That's exactly true. That's yeah. exactly true. So you can break yeah. your rod, you can, use, you can lose a fish, which is a disappointing thing to do, of course, to yeah. lose the fish. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but breaking your rod is much worse, that's for sure. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. We've got a bunch of questions on casting and presentation here. Um, Andy Cordova in Reno, Nevada wrote in, and he says, Sarah, am I just getting older? Is there something I'm doing wrong? Often when I'm making a long cast, sometimes during double hauling, just when I'm about to start my final forward cast and release, the line slips out of my hand and the cast falls behind me in a pile doesn't happen all the time, but enough to make me think I'm doing something wrong. Any ideas for Andy? Yeah. The only thing I can think of is that the casting may not be wrong, but it sounds more like what's happened because it's not happening all the time. It sounds more as if in preparation for fishing, sort of doing that last cast or more correctly, um, just before the final cast, he is he is relaxing enough that he's just letting go of that line. And um, since it doesn't happen all the time and it's not happening because of the cast, 
I think it has to do with more of a mental thing. I think that it's a relaxation. I would suggest that if there's a particular routine to the casting, um, such as a casting twice and then has and then create the final cast on the third cast, mix it up a bit so that sometimes um, one would have three casts sometimes before the final cast, sometimes two casts, sometimes four casts, whatever it is, so that your body really has to think and you have to think through what you're doing because that's the other thing. I just think it's more of a mental mistake than a casting mistake since it does not happen all the time. Um, And certainly we make a lot of mental mistakes as well. And um, it's just a matter of then really talking yourself through the cast and mixing it up so that you're not always doing the exact same routine. And um, that's that's sort of what I think would be the best way to handle that or to try that anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Makes you think about it, yeah. Um, Another question came in. It says, I can't cast an indicator bobber type worth beans. What are the most common mistakes we make when casting this setup? A bobber can be a difficult thing, and that's another thing as well. The first thing that one um, has to do, one should do, I think, is shorten the cast. Try shorter casts with your bobber and so that you get comfortable with casting a bobber. Don't try for the long distance casts at all. Just do, just shorten that cast up until you, um, until you feel comfortable and can add an extra foot or, you know, and slowly add more, um, length to your line. Another thing I would do, of course, is, um, of course, lob the fly. I mean, that's another option. Typically, when you have a bobber, let the line go downstream and keep the line the same, the same length always and then just hold the thing up and just lob it. Literally, your cast is not a back cast and a forward cast, but it's literally from downstream to upstream where you just lob. Just like a, I mean, that's all I can think of if you have a bobber because typically a bobber would get hung up or whatever. The other thing that one can do is use a method that I typically use with streamers. But you can use with a heavy, um, a heavy nymph, a heavily weighted nymph, and certainly with a bobber, which is you cast once, um, cast the length that you're comfortable with, drop it, drop your line, your fly and line to the water, but pick it up immediately afterwards, and on your back cast, lengthen line or forward cast, whichever you feel comfortable with, and cast again one time, drop it to the water drops the line to the water. Before the fly, again, has chance to think, pick it up again and cast out again. So the thing is that what you're doing is you're only sending the line out, that you're only sending the fly out once, bringing it up again and casting one more again and to the line. So between each cast, you're actually dropping your fly to the water. And that means that instead of getting caught up, uh, I mean, what that fly, that does is it allows you to lengthen your line without false casting, which is often how a bobber gets caught up as well, uh, and as does a streamer. So that 
if you do something like that, that will help, that can help um, with your casting. Yeah, that makes sense. And kind of using the water to, to do the initial loading of the rod on the way back, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and then you're not waving it back and forth, getting it all tangled up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Which, is, which we all do when it's, you know, at some point in our lives. So that, yes, exactly. Yeah, well, when you got two flies potentially, plus some uh, weight on there, plus a uh, strike indicator, uh, there's a lot flying around in the air up there, that's for sure. Yes, there is. The only yeah. thing is that if you use that method, which is a fabulous method, you definitely want to have exhausted your dry fly fishing first because it will um, it will change. I mean, the surface of the water will be chewed up because yeah. you will have, you know, so the thing is you do any kind of dry fly fishing you, you think you might want to do and then cast with a nymph or a streamer and or with the dropper and um and but do that method is a fabulous way to lengthen line until you get to where you want it to be eventually. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh okay, time for another break. Uh when we come back we'll we'll talk more about casting and, and presentation with uh with Sarah Lowe. Looking for that shot at a permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Blaze is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island, and they're only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipRayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Sarah Lowe about fly fishing mistakes. And if you'd like to ask Sarah a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Sarah, we have... Uh, Okay, I'm trying to, to sort this one out. Let's see if you can sort it out. Uh, Dino in, in Michigan wrote in. He says, any thoughts on leader straightening on the cast? Have played with leader stiffness and fly weight or air resistance? Um, so that's part one of the question. I'm guessing he wants to cast with the leader straight out. Is that what you're, you're guessing? Or uh, which, something I, I am guessing that. No, okay. that, that makes total sense. Okay. Um, because a lot of times the leader, for whatever purpose, either because it has, for whatever reason, either because it just was in a, was, um, I don't know, folded up or something or, or rolled up to begin with or whatever it is, um, it just isn't as straight as the line. So to straighten your line or your leader, and this is, the, this is um, when you're casting, Use a single hull, and that will um, use the single hull on your just before you reach the water, so the, on your forward cast. And you do that as the rod starts to accelerate forward on your cast, you pull the line down a few inches. And with the line, um, the combination of the line at the top of your rod unfurling, 
naturally, as it always does, and the line at the bottom of the rod being tucked back because of that pull, um, that will increase the speed of the line and cause your tippet to straighten out. So actually, you use a single hull, and I will do that um, when I want to make sure that I have a straight line for whatever, you know, and sometimes, and I'll do it, sometimes it's because you've got a heavy fly, um, sometimes it's because there is a, a breeze, whatever it is, it just allows you a little bit more control on how you're going to land your fly, and it will definitely strengthen, I mean, I'm sorry, um, straighten your tippet. Okay, okay. Dino also had a second part to his question. He says, um, what types of flies fish best with leader slack for drag-free drifting or sinking, and how do you trade that off against sensing or responding to fish? Um, all right, say that again. What? what yeah, what uh, types of flies, he wants to know, work best with a mm -hmm. slack leader for drag-free drifting? Or sinking, and um, how do you trade that off against sensing or responding to fish? I think rather than tight line nymphing or mm -hmm. tight mm -hmm. line dry fly fishing, you know, and you have that slack in there, uh, he's worried about sensing the fish, you know, on the take, I guess. The, um, I'm not sure in terms of really pretty much all flies will work well for um for drag-free drifting, it just depends on how you present the fly. Whether your um, your cast is throws in some slack into your into your line or not, you just don't want to throw a straight line and then expect the fly to to drift without drag. You so you definitely want to throw in some extra slack. Um, so the types of flies that fish best for drag-free free drifting or or sinking, I'm not sure that there's anything that doesn't work well. You just want to make sure that you are throwing extra slack into your line and letting that fly drift downstream with using that extra slack. Um, yeah, and I go ahead. Yeah, in yeah, well, in terms of sensing or responding to the fish for that of course if you use a strike indicator or you watch your line then there you will you can see the fish if they're hitting the fly at all and if you are responding to fish if you have slack in the line and you're casting downstream or either downstream or upstream but you have extra slack in the line so that your fly drift naturally, then what you want to do is when a fish takes that fly, you want to pull in two different directions. So with your rod hand, you would pull your rod one direction, and with your line hand, pull the, pull the line the other direction. So you actually are pulling twice as hard or twice as much line um, as you normally would, and that's how you would really bring in fish if you've got slack um, because otherwise you know, otherwise a fish will come off, he'll spit that line out very quickly and you won't have had a chance to set your hook. So yeah. pull, 
pulled two different directions. Yeah, yeah, like rod, both hands away from each other, basically, as you pull exactly. the rod one way exactly. and your, your line the other way. Yeah, yep, makes, uh, makes perfect sense. Um, okay, so you had talked about doing a single hull just a minute ago, and we have another question from uh, Gary Hamilton in Idaho. Uh, he says, okay. are there any methods, habits, skills, tricks, etc., one could use to make it possible to learn the haul and double haul tactic? I just can't seem to get it. It is like eating. I mean, it's like walking and chewing gum at the same time. It's <laughs> patting one's head and, and, and like rubbing one's tummy. It, it can be a very difficult thing and either to do a haul or to do a double haul. Um, and you just it's amazing how some people get it and some people don't. I literally lay in bed for a long time. I mean, not, I mean, like for, for day, for nights, I should say, um, trying to figure it out. And I just visualized it in my head. I know people who have gone onto the dance floor and done the double haul, theoretically, what they call doing the double haul, and just practiced on, as they were dancing. But one thing to do to create, to just to get the haul is to really break, break everything down into steps. And first of all, stand on firm ground, not in the water. And cast, cast behind you. Just to do a single haul behind you. Cast behind you and pull your line down at the same time as you're casting behind you. And then stop and let the line fall to the ground. And you do that several times. You um, cast in front of you, pull the line down at the time of the casting, and stop. And do that several times, and just keep doing that. And then eventually, put the two together, where you're casting in front and pulling the line down, and you're casting behind you and pulling the line down. But literally, just break it down and do a single haul one step at a time and don't and eventually put them all together the double yeah. haul then would be by putting it together um the, doing the haul on the back cast and the haul on the front cast um yeah. but just break it down is, is the best thing to do and so much so that you are literally doing literally a back cast all by itself and stopping and letting it fall on the ground and then no. doing the forecast. And, and feel yeah. that load in both directions when you do it, right? Yeah. Feel the, yeah. Feel the line, load the rod. Um, there's also some videos out there that you can watch too, Gary, um, online. Or one of the best ways to learn some of this stuff is just take a lesson <laughs> from a mm -hmm. certified uh, fly fishing, you know, uh, uh, instructor. Um, it's amazing what you can learn in an hour from from a pro. Um, I mean, I've, I've done it several times, and it's always worth the, the, the few bucks that you invest in that. But And it's also worth worth learning the, the double and single haul uh, just for fishing, whether you're fishing for trout or tarpon. <laughs> um, it can make life a lot easier once you know what how to do it. So that's worth, true. worth the that's time. True. Yeah. I, when I fish myself, I haul without even thinking about it. I mean, I've right. got it down, obviously. But I absolutely include a haul always in in my casting. One, the same leader, which we had talked about before. Sarah, can you can you 
Sarah, uh, sorry for yep. interrupting, but can you adjust your phone yeah. again? I, I really yeah. can't hear what you're saying. Sorry. Okay. Can, Go ahead. Um, is that work? Is that better? Oh, yeah, much better. Much better. Yep. Okay. Um, I haul always when I fish, and or just about always. One, to straighten the leader, and two, just to control the um, the cast that much more. And I just do it naturally. So I would include it. Once you have it down, I would absolutely include it with your fishing and again and you're right with casting you can i mean you can do any kind of fishing tarpon or trout or anything at all will take a haul and you will be happy to use it when you take a lesson from a pro abs a casting lesson do it on land and feel and you should feel and if they if they're suggesting on land be absolutely comfortable with that idea because yeah. then you don't have the um, what's happening on the water. You don't have the distraction of anything else, and you're only thinking about the casting. So absolutely do do it on land. It's it's the best way to learn. Yeah, good good uh, good suggestion. Um, speaking of casts, uh, what different kinds of casts should you know at a minimum, and and why? I mean, if there's two or three different Cast, what, what would you suggest to learn? I don't know that there's a particular minimum number that one should use. Um, no. You definitely want to have different casts available to you for different conditions. Whether you're fishing downstream, sometimes you're and you want to um, add slack. Whether you're fishing upstream and you want to ensure that the fly comes down first. When you're fishing over currents, when you're fishing when there's overhang above you, when there's brush behind you. Um, all of that actually requires, uh, suggests the use of different casts. I have, um, when I fish downstream, because uh, I usually fish downstream, but when I want to add slack, I'll use per, sometimes the S cast, and that would be when a fish is below me in the same or next to the column of water that I'm standing in, then I would use an S cast, which which is essentially like an S curve, or I would use the reach cast so that my I make sure that my fly comes downstream before the rest of the um, the rest of the line. I also would use the reach cast when fishing on upstream um, to ensure that my fly comes down before the line downstream before the line. When you fish with over overhang, definitely you want to make sure that you don't get hooked up on a uh, on the the trees above you. And if you to um, remove that, then you would do any. There are a number of different casts that you can use um, instead of as, that you can use. Uh, if you the bow and arrow cast, if you're just doing a short a 25 feet foot cast. If you want to worry, if you are worried about the brush behind you, fish an oval cast. I mean, I'm just naming these casts. There are so many different casts. An oval cast or and a um, continuous oval cast, which is sometimes called a Belgian cast. That allows you to have your line out and have a long distance of line, but instead of straightening the line behind you on the back cast, you actually cast as if you were casting in an oval 
which means the line stays um, long, but because with an oval, it never straightens out behind you, but stays in the oval. There are so many different kinds of casts that literally for every different condition that you're in. There's a steeple cast, which is literally if you have trees above you, then you or behind you, or you know, all of it. If you're just surrounded by by trees um, and you're fishing small water, you can cast where you literally take your line straight up into the air and bring it back down again in front of you. It um, there are so many different casts, and you can make them up too. But again, it depends. They all are about because of different situations. So that's the way you want. That's what really. Um, uh-huh. your conditions will uh, affect your cast or will dictate your cast. Yeah, yeah. I, l- I like the part about inventing your own. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sure I've important. done that plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do I get that fight? That's Okay, well, we'll try this. <laughs> Which makes total sense. And actually one thing that one does typically is there is an actual cast called a puddle cast. And that looks a lot like the cast that we all try to get away from, which puts slack in the water, and it literally makes your – it looks like your fly line just puddles down in front of you and is, is, a, is a mess. And that's something that we so try to get away from, but actually that is a cast as well. So literally what that is is – allows a lot of slack to happen and allows your your fly to drift clean and that's great so chances are if you don't do a cast that you wanted to do and you end up with a puddle that's quite all right of and the puddle would be fly line fly the fly fly tippet the leader go for it just absolutely just leave it whatever your cast was you just fish it because you cast you fish the cast that you you threw and you'll correct it the next the next time around the next time you cast you'll work a little bit harder possibly and correct whatever you've got going on and that's quite all right yeah yeah good good um one more question on um casting um uh well it's actually about mending so what's the Mm -hmm. is there a correct or incorrect way to to mend there isn't a correct way to mend per se. People actually seem to do what feels comfortable to them. There, but you can mend on the water or you can mend in the air before the line lands on the water. And those are called aerial mends. So you can mend when you mend in the air. I typically mend in the air, especially if the water is clear or slow or anything that might disrupt the fish, you probably would rather not mend on the water, but mend in the air. Mending is correcting your cast by adding slack into it. I typically would use a reach cast. And what that is, is casting out, straight out, and on your forward cast before the line hits the water, then reaching upstream of where you want your fly to land so that it creates an upstream mend in the line and then dropping it to the water so that you have you you literally have 
a, uh, a bend in your line and you come back, bring your line, your rod back to pointing at your fly. So therefore you have an upstream, um, it's a C on the, on the, or shape on the water and that will allow you to have slack that gives you slack that will then allow your fly to drift um, naturally downstream or upstream, I mean, as it goes downstream, rather. So I don't think, but I don't think there is a correct way. I, I mean, I don't think that if you do it in the air versus if you do it, um, if you do it once it has, your fly has reached the water, I don't think one is more correct. I, well, you can do whichever feels best to you. But um, I I like to mend in the air so that yeah. I'm not disrupting the water. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, one more, uh, another break here, and, uh, and we'll talk about fly selection and fighting and landing fish. So uh, stick with us, folks, and we'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Upper Delaware in New York and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. Uh, Fly Fishers International core values remained unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish and to preserve and promote the art of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Sarah Lowe about uh, fly fishing mistakes. If you'd like to ask her a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your questions. Okay, um, let's see here. Oh, okay, so a question came in on the Internet from Bob Garman in Philadelphia. Here's Sarah. Uh, he says, I'm a right-handed caster, but occasionally when I give my arm a rest and cast with my left hand, uh, sometimes my fly ends up hitting the rod on my forward cast. What would I be doing wrong? If the fly is hitting your rod, you're probably moving the rod, typically uh, moving the tip of the rod. Where you may be dropping it or raising it, um, so it's no longer going in that straight line. So you're probably moving the rod tip um, one direction or the other, and that would be why your um, fly would hit the rod. Typically, whatever the rod tip does, then the fly and the line itself will, will do the same thing. So if you drop that rod a little bit, then the line will drop as well. And that would typically be, I think, um, you're probably moving the rod tip, or the rod, the rod itself, and that would make sense if you're not using your dominant hand. Although right. I have to say, 
I congratulate him, Bob, for using the other hand at times because there's no reason why one can't use their non-dominant hand. I remember someone came to me and he had set up a, uh, an angler had set up a day of fishing and he got to the day of fishing and he had fallen and hurt his hand. And so he couldn't use, um, use his dominant hand for fishing. And I said, that's fine. We'll use the other hand instead. And he actually did very well. First he thought it was kidding, of course, um, but he did very well because he was forced to tell him, to talk himself through mentally, or, you know, he didn't have to say it out loud, but talk him through himself through the casting because it wasn't his dominant hand. And I think it was great that he used the opposite. First of all, it got him out on the water when he, when he thought he wasn't going to be able to get out on the water, but, um, because his hand was hurt. But the fact is, by having, by using your non-dominant hand, you have to tell yourself how to cast and literally go back to the basics. And I think, and that's great. Um, and everyone should have to you should try that every now and then. The fact that you're hitting a, um, that Bob is hitting his fly against the rod is hard on the rod if it, um, as it is, but also typically that would be, I would think, um, he's uh, dropping the tip of his rod or something in on, in his rod, so his cast is not the straight line that he does with his other hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, talking about fly selection, when you first arrive at the water, how do you select your first fly? Well, I personally am a fly fisherman. I am a dry fly fisherman. When I possibly can, that's the first thing I do. I will use all dry flies I possibly can and before I move on to nymphs or to streamers. So that's a, um, so I am, am biased in that respect. But when the first thing you have to do, you want to do is of course look to see what's happening. If fish are coming up to the surface, absolutely put on a dry. You would of course look to see if you can see what the fish are taking, then you would put that fly on. If they don't take what you think they're taking, I mean, let's say you think they're taking a size 12 um, blue-winged olive, and they don't seem to be doing taking that fly, but uh, then go down to a size 14. So I would absolutely use a dry fly um, if they are rising up or a an emerger of whatever whatever I'm seeing. And if you don't see anything, then I would go below the surface and um, put on a, a hare's ear or a, or a pheasant tail, probably a pheasant tail, because I think there are more brown nymphs than there are um, lighter colored nymphs, which would be the hare's ear. And that's what I would do. But first, but again, I go back to that stop, look, and listen. If right. they are, if they are rising, then you're going to, then you'll, then absolutely, I personally will prefer a dry. Now, are you, when you fish, or do you often fish um, a dry with a, a merger dropper? Is that a combination you use? Or? It's, a, it's a great combination. And, um, and a wonderful thing to do is to fish two different flies. First, 
for your dropper, that second fly, you can put on a, your first fly, whatever it is, and attach a dropper to, to that first fly. And you can attach it at the bend of the hook. You can attach it at the eye of the hook. I'm not really, I don't love that as much. The drive, the first fly does not, to me, does not float as naturally as it would um, if you attach a second fly to the bend of the hook. by And you would attach, literally attach, tip it to the bend of the hook and then a fly at the other, a second fly at the end. A great thing to do would be to, is to, um, if you aren't sure what they're taking, put on a dry and a nymph. Put on a dry of two different kinds of drives. Put on a streamer and a nymph, or a nymph and a streamer rather, so that you have a, a streamer which represents a bait fish chasing after a nymph. Or put on, you know, a couple of different flies. Whatever you do, just see what they take, what the fish will take, based on put trying a couple of different um, options of a couple of different flies, sizes, different um, stages of the life, whatever it is. So whether you do an emerger and a, and a nymph, whether you're, you know, there are two different stages right there, and um, and I think that's, I mean, I would definitely try that. Okay. Um, uh, Dave in North, he's from the North Georgia mountains. He says, how long should you use a fly before you try something different? So how often do you, do you change up? Well, there are lots of schools of thought on that. And usually it depends on how fast you're fishing. Of course, some people, um, I've heard some people say, cast about five or six times and if nothing happens then change your fly i i would give it a little bit longer than that if it, it depends on how active um the fish are at the time if you're seeing fish coming up to the surface i would give it five or six times and then maybe i would actually give it 10 i would cast about 10 times and then try something different if you're not seeing anything coming up to the surface but you're trying a dry or you're trying whatever you're trying, uh, give it more like five minutes, um, ten minutes at the most before you try on a different fly. If you really like that particular fly and you really believe in it, stick with it. Who, you know, part of the whole fishing thing is what you believe in as well. And um, but really, literally, probably I would give a, a good ten casts. Um, I, no more than 10 if the fish are active. And if nothing's happening, I would try, I would change flies after about a good five, solid five minutes. So, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's what I would do. Um, another question. Uh, I often lose sight of my dry flies because they're so small. Is there anything I can do to see them better? Um, yes, you can. And there are a couple of things that you can do. This is so typical, um, especially towards the end of the day when you're, if you're using small flies and it's starting to get dark, you don't have as much light in the air and you can't see. Um, you could put on a, a blah, you can use a, a little bit of floatant of the, um, floatant that's the putty that is the, it's 
bright colored putty that that's usually neon colored. Put that about a foot, two feet away from the fly, from your fly. You put a small amount on because you're not using it for as a strike indicator per se, um, but you're actually just using it if you see the water dimple within the two feet of that bright spot in the water, then set your hook because they may a fish may have come up for your fly if you can't see the fly. You could also use a a strike indicator, of course, but you could use another fly. So tie on two flies. The second and the smaller, and the, being the smaller fly, is the one that you would expect, you are expecting the fish to take. And another fly, two feet above it, again, further away from it so that you aren't hampering anything that happens around that tiny little dark fly that, that you have. And this is for dry flies, so I'm assuming that you're, yes, you are talking about dry flies. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would use strike indicator putty especially in a small amount because it's just um, knowing that you will have to replace it quite often because with such a small amount of, with a small amount of the strike indicator putty, um, it just goes off, it falls off your line pretty quickly. Yeah. But that's yeah. what I would do. Okay. Uh, okay, some questions on fighting and landing fish. Uh, and, well, and, yeah, and, and hooking up, I guess, too here. Rick, uh, Northwestern Pennsylvania, wrote in. He says, uh, when giving instructions to a new fly fisher, what would you suggest to the person to increase his chance of a good hook set and how to play the fish? Um, to increase the chance of setting the hook to begin with, I would use, I would suggest to the angler, to the new angler, to stand in faster water. Um, in a, in water that has a current of some sort, because if it's very clear, slow water, then a fish has a chance to look at a fly, spit it out, etc. When you're in faster water, the fish have less of a chance, and often they will actually hook themselves practically because they will they will take that fly so fast that they actually hook themselves. And I think that's really important for a new fisher to um, to get that feel and to have a fish on the line. I would also use flies that require a lot of action. Um, March brown nymphs, for example, Isonychia flies, that um, because a newer angler is not going to dead drift as well as a more experienced angler. So if you use a fly, that requires live action, then um, especially the the March brown nymph, um, then that will actually entice a fish a lot faster. Also, I would suggest using a shorter amount of line, like 30 feet of line top, so as not to to deal with slack at all and um, not to have to deal with that. In terms of playing the fish, the number one thing to remind a newer angler and all of us is to keep a bend in the rod. Once a, a fish has hooked up, so once you have a fish on the hook that's at the end of your line, make sure that when you're in in terms of when you're retrieving that fish, 
you keep a bend in your rod. So you do not straighten that rod out at all. And as long as you keep that bend in your rod and you are bringing in the line, then the chances of bringing in that fish as well all the way to the net are very, you know, are tops, I mean, which is which is very good. It's just you've got to remember to have to have the bend in your rod. Go ahead and get a drink of water if you need. <laughs> I'm sorry, there goes my throat. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I would recommend that. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, Mark Johnston in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, he says, mm-hmm. I've been told to apply sideways pressure on larger fish and on smaller fish straight up pressure to land them. Do you agree with this advice? And if yes, why the difference? I don't think I really agree with that. Um, I think that with smaller fish, if they're really small, you can just bring them in by hand practically without the use of of your rod. Um, And in that case, again, that's the bend type thing that you have to keep that bend in. Um, In terms of larger versus smaller, as a rule, I don't see that you want to to uh, play them any differently and I, I I love the idea I love the fact that he is mentioning the fact that um, that he plays the fish on the, certainly the larger fish with sideways pressure but you can do that with of course with all fish but I love the sideways pressure because what you're doing instead of bringing the line straight up to the sky or bringing your rod straight up to the sky is you are keeping the fish's nose sideways. It's in the water still. Instead of pointing the fish's nose straight up to the sky, which forces, which which actually creates panic. I mean, and, and a fish is so much harder to, um, to fight when its nose is irregularly straight up and down, straight up to the sky. So the thing is, that's the only thing I can think of that would suggest that larger fish, you would do the sideways versus smaller fish straight up and down. I would do, I would do, and I actually try to do everything sideways, whether it's small fish or whether it's large fish. It just means that you're um, you're not forcing the fish into yet another unnatural um uh, situation. I mean, it's bad enough to, that they feel some sort of a tug at their mouth, but then to have that tug may force their their mouth straight up to the sky means they're going to fight you. I mean, they just are. And so yeah. I would, uh, you know, I, the only thing I can think of in terms of the in terms of the recommendation for the small fish is that if it's a small enough fish, you're just you can just an angler yeah. can just bring that fish in so quickly. Right, but otherwise, right. I would do everything the same. So I don't agree with it, but I love the um, the fact that he um, plays with his fish, brings them in on the side rather than yeah. straight up and down. I think a straight up and down often gets you a head shake, right, which ends up throwing the hook many times. <laughs> that's they, right. Like that's you said, right. it's not natural, and they just shake their head, and whoop, out comes a hook, you know. So. And out comes that hook. That's right. Yeah. We have, uh, we're out of time here, but we have one uh, final question. Actually, a question came in on the Internet from Nancy Zakon, or Zakon, 
Key Largo, Florida, uh, asking how you release a fish without hurting it. And then we have a, uh, also Ed Constantini was asking basically the same question, um, you know, what's the, what's the best way to fight the fish and avoid overstressing it? And then, you know, what's the proper way of handling it upon release? So could you kind of end our session tonight with an answer to those questions? Absolutely. First of all, again, that goes back to playing the fish in terms of I play the fish, my fish, on the side, and I, and I do recommend that. So going back to, to the, the question before, which was um, larger fish versus or smaller fish, I literally, um, I, I will set my hook on, to the side and keep my rod as parallel to the water as I possibly can so as to keep the um, fish from pointing straight up to the sky. And I think that helps in terms of controlling a fish um, when trying to land it. Um, a fish will go the opposite direction from which it's pulled. And if its mouth is pulled to the left, of course, it turns to, goes to the right and the other way around. So the thing is, what you want to do is try to... Um, Try to keep it going sideways and just slowly work the fish back and forth so that you can bring it right up to you. And you can literally bring the fish right in front of you, upstream of, you, of where you're standing, and um, literally drop your line so the fish no longer feels any tug whatsoever. And then... Get your net in the, into the water because when they see a net, often fish will run again. But just get that net in um, behind, behind the fish underwater and then bring your rod tip up so, give, with a tug, so the, um, up, a tug upstream. I mean, you're not tugging, but, you're, but the fish feels an upstream tug and will turn around and swim right into your net. And this is this is and actually it's a way of keeping the fish as calm as possible um, so that you don't have to you don't overstress the animal and I think you know that's it takes a little bit of practice but it's it's a wonderful way to deal with with the fish you don't um, the other thing you want to do is use a net from as much as possible um, if you can get a hook out of the mouth of a fish without the net, that's fine. That's great. But you want to make sure that a, you have not overplayed a fish or that the fish is not so overstressed that you're getting a hook out and letting a stressed fish loose without having had time to um, rejuvenate itself. So I would use a net, and I would use a um one of the nets that one of the newer nets which um because they have um catch and release nets now where they aren't going to remove a lot of the meniscus the layer of that's on the fish that um is fights all of the all of the algae and the germs anyway i would remove the hook again um first of all not again but keeping the fish in the water but within your net Remove the hook if it has if the fish has not already spit out the net, the uh, hook. Making and 
putting, making sure that the fish is faced upstream and uh, not in the heavy current. Allow the fish to get back, rejuvenate itself, to get oxygen back into its system. And then if you just lower the net, the, the actual net away from the fish, the fish will swim away when it's ready and when it feels, when it's strong enough to. So you touch it. You don't touch it if possible. Um, if you have to take a picture, then you, you do everything. You keep the fish in the water until the last minute possible, take, and then pull it, bring it out to take a picture. But you stress the fish as little as possible. That's what you want. I, I personally am a, a catch and release for the most time. The people who fish with me are, um, have to, I mean, it's really, for the most part, everyone does release their fish. Um, there are a few people who, of course, keep fish for and, and eat them afterwards. But for the most part, most fly fishermen seem to release their fish so that you can either, so the fish can live and maybe you'll be able to catch that fish or someone else will be another time. So right. you just don't want to stress the fish. Right. Yep. And that's a good note to end the show on. Um, catch and release is, is a great way to fish. And, uh, or in, you know, in some parts of the world, um, you know, that's all you can do and uh, to protect yeah. the resource, which is, which is always good. So good. Um, well, Sarah, unfortunately, we're out of time. We did get a lot of questions answered, and that makes me happy. <laughs> and uh, But we got to wrap it up. So um, stick with me, though, because we're going to give away your book here very shortly. And uh, we'll also be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing in Time Journal. So um, everybody, stick around. Remember Sarah's book, Guide's Guide to Fly Fishing Mistakes, courtesy of Skyhorse Publishing. We'll be giving that away, too. So uh, hang tight, and we'll do that in just a minute. The Bristol, Bay sure. the Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. The pebble mine still remains a threat to the region, and two million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit SaveBristolBay.org to learn more and to get involved. Again, it's savebristolbay.org. Uh, just a reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and leave us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show. It says, what do you think of the show? Just click on the link and leave your comments. We'd really uh, appreciate it. So now um, we're going to do our drawings. Uh, drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show because you don't want to miss out on your chance at uh, some of the great prizes we have to offer. If you are a lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and uh, hook up with you to uh, get the information we need to, to, to deliver your prize. So the first, the first um, thing that we're going to give away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And if you don't win tonight, you want to go to flyfishersinternational.org and check out FFI and uh, become a member. Uh, it's a great organization to support uh, and be part of. Uh, so, again, our, our winner for that is going to be Nancy Zakan, who just asked the last question there, uh, in New Hampshire. So um, uh, congratulations, Nancy, on winning that uh, membership to the Fly Fishers International. So uh, good for you. Thanks for listening and uh, playing. Our second 
winner. This is for a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, courtesy of AmatoBooks.com, another great publisher of fly fishing uh, periodicals and books. Check them out at AmatoBooks.com. Um, the winner of that subscription is Al Moore in Georgia. Al Moore. So uh, congratulations, Al. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy that uh, Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And now we're going to give away Sarah's book, A Guide's Guide to Fly Fishing Mistakes, Common Problems and How to Correct Them, courtesy of Skyhorse Publishing. And uh, check them out at skyhorsepublishing.com. Um, question is, and you answer this on our homepage in that text box where you may have asked questions during the show, uh, this time you're going to provide the answer. Same text box. Uh, the question is, uh, what's the name of the cast that um, uh, that Sarah suggested for doing an aerial mend? What's the cast that Sarah suggested for doing an aerial mend? And so now uh, I just keep refreshing the queue. There is a slight uh, delay in the broadcast, uh, Sarah, so we have to wait just a bit um, for them to get the mess, the question, and then to respond. So sometimes it takes a minute. Keep refreshing here, and we'll see if we can get a winner of your book. Great. And let's see here. And we've got, uh, I've got a reach cast. Is that the correct answer, Sarah? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so John Young in Vidalia, Ohio. John Young in Vidalia, Ohio. Uh, you just won yourself Sarah's book. Um, so, John, what you need to do, you can use that same text box and just send me your uh, shipping address, and then we'll get a book shipped out to you. So um, uh, I've got your name, got your email address, just need your shipping address, then you can put it in that text box or send it to info at askaboutflyfishing.com by email, info at askaboutflyfishing.com. So uh, thanks for playing. Thanks for paying attention. And, um, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for taking your time out. I know it's getting late out there on the East Coast, uh, but I sure appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us tonight. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be on. This is a great program. Okay, great, great. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and we surely enjoyed uh, you, you being on it. Um, hopefully all of you have found the archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link in the top line of our menu. Uh, the archive, you'll f- find past shows. We've got over 285 shows in the archive now, which you can search by a keyword or keyword phrase, like trout, tarpon, Madison River, fly tying, whatever. And uh, go ahead and explore, and you'll be, I think, pleasantly surprised at what you'll f- discover there. Um, our next broadcast will be on December 19th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'll be interviewing Rick Takahashi, and our topic for the show will be the art of fly tying. Rick is well-known in the fly fishing world as a top fly tire, combining his background in color and design theory, as well as on-the-water testing to create flies that look great and fish great. Join us to learn how Rick approaches his art form and learn his tips of the trade. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Skyhorse Publishing, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.